Happy Dad is available at a lot of your local bars and restaurants. You might even find it at some saloons. If you've enjoyed a Happy Dad, then you know it goes well with your burger, your wings, pizza, and steak. <laughs> People in California eat it with their sushi, too. Go to happydad.com find to find a bar or restaurant near you so you can watch the games with the boys while enjoying an ice-cold daddy drink. The ladies love it as well. If your bar doesn't carry Happy Dad, then ask them to call their distributor to stock up. You can't have a burger with that skinny can, can you? It's time to man up and drink Happy Dad. All right, welcome to the QB room presented by Happy Dad. Uh, we are fired up uh, to first time be in the same room together. So I'm Jordan Palmer. I coach quarterbacks for a living. Kyle What's Allen. Up? Yep, Kyle Allen, backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills right now, both back in Orange County. And we got a fellow Orange County in. Joel Klatt, thanks for coming on. Newport guy, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're fired up. Um, we're going to talk through, we kind of, you've said it, other people have said it. I don't think this is a mystery. We just want to unpack this uh, this topic that I think is going to be a large conversation for the next couple of months. And this is this, call it a, we're calling it a crisis, but is there a crisis in the college coaching world? Um, now, there's a lot of things that go into that. To start off, you had an episode, I think it dropped this week, um, and you broke this down for 30 minutes. We, we watched that, and, and there was some awesome nuggets in there, not to have you go through it again, uh, but one, congrats on your show. Everybody knows, you know, we all watch it on Saturdays and all the other days, too. Um, there has been, just so you know, several different conversations where I've referenced something that Joel Klatt said on his podcast for a point I was making, whether that was in a meeting or with a guy or on the media or so there's, for those of you who haven't tuned into that, uh, nuggets every single episode. Um, but can you give us the cliff notes mm -hmm. on the main issues that college coaches are dealing with right now? Um, and just kind of hit, hit some of those points that were yeah. really relevant. So I was talking on, on my show about this, <clears throat> and this is all kind of coming to a head in different ways. Think of like a bunch of rivers entering all of a sudden, you know, and they're kind of like trying to mix and they're all just like mashing together. And that's kind of what's going on. There's a bunch of singular issues that are creating one giant problem or one giant flood, if you will. Um, Maybe a, a bad pun with all the rain we're getting currently. But um, <laughs> I was talking about this, this, this back and forth that the NCAA is having with Tennessee and, and it, and it stems from NIL, but, but, but really it encapsulates kind of the, the chaotic nature of, of everything surrounding college athletics, because there are not any parameters or guardrails around NIL. There's very little parameters and guardrails around transfer portal. Um, and then if you just continue to go on, like, what are some of those other issues? The calendar is a complete mess right now. And, and the structure of how college football programs are built, um, they are archaic. Um, and, and so what I was walking through was, I, I know that it's hard to give a quick answer, but Jordan, basically, yeah. when you have all of that, you have NIL, you have transfer portal, you have the calendar, you have, you know, you're not done with your season when you're recruiting high school players, and now you can lose your entire roster to the portal. You've got to go recruit out of the portal. Oh, by the way, you still have a bowl game. Some people still have uh, a playoff. You know, it's it's such a mess. And yet we we expect the head coach to be perfect in every area. Totally impossible. You know, we don't even expect um, NFL head coaches now anymore to be great personnel decision makers. And yet they have a perfect structure and perfect timing of you get you finish your season, then you go into free agency, and then you go into the draft, and you know how to build your roster. You know who's under contract and who's a free agent. You can manage a salary cap, all of those things. And we still don't require the head coach, even with that type of structure, to make every single decision or be perfect in every single area. And yet, in the ridiculously chaotic environment of college athletics where you've got nil that's that's totally out of control where your entire roster can leave at any moment you've got to go recruit a new roster both out of the portal and out of high school 
during your season while coaches are trying to leave all of that. And we're expecting like, man, this head coach, he's just not cutting it. It's like, what? Yeah. this is insane. Of course, yeah. this is insane. They don't have proper GM structure. They don't have proper president of football operations structure. And so it is completely unsustainable. And that therein lies the crisis that, you know, you said the word crisis. Therein lies the crisis is that it's an unsustainable model. So therefore, guys are having to make decisions, and and that decision-making process is prioritizing which areas they want to dive into, and and the the crisis comes in 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 this regard. The guys that want to dive into the football have to leave because the other things are taking too much of a priority, too much time, and and quite frankly, it's too exhausting for them to deal with the transfer portal and deal with NIL. So for them, guys like Jeff Halfley, it's like, I'd rather go be a coordinator. This is why Chip mm -hmm. Kelly is dancing around the National Football League. This is why Ryan mm -hmm. Day, even though he is a master play caller and a wonderful offensive coordinator, cannot be the play caller anymore at Ohio State because it's just too much. So he's got to go hire an outside offensive coordinator to call his offense so that he can go and dive into the NIL fundraising at Ohio State in the midst of a transition between Gene Smith and Ross Bjork at the AD and with a new president. So you get where I'm, this is every school. And totally. that's as quick of an answer as I can give to that question. Yeah. Let's talk about like definitions, right? So we, I think I, I talk about this as a coach, right? Like, let's say that I grew up and everything was really easy where I grew up. And so my definition of work ethic would be different if you grew up in a military household or grew up with nothing and had to fend for yourself as a young man, right? So we both could say work ethic is this, but we'd have two different definitions of the word term work ethic, right? Well, an agreement, what's the definition of an agreement between a player and a team? Because if there's not actually a contract, like when I sign a contract, I owe, you know, we owe our partner, Happy Dad, X amount of episodes, just all sorts of contracts and examples of it. So the definition of commitment where player can commit, can get money in advance, then decommit and go somewhere else just puts the coach and the school in a terrible position. And then the definition of what is the player? They're not defined currently as an employee. We'll get into that. That kind of is just, we're right at the cusp of that happening, right? With the deal that happened with Dartmouth, mm -hmm. but getting on the same page, there's, there's the structural problems. And then there's the, well, what is what is a commitment? What is a player yeah. like? What is a player's actual commitment to the so, school? So, I think that we and and within those definitions, I think is is and I'm sure you talk about this with your players and Kyle, and I'm sure you, you know you talk about this, mm -hmm. you know, within your own locker room. You've got to be honest, right? If you're going to succeed in this sport, you've got to be honest with yourself, with your teammates, right? Like guys that you know, the old adage, like what you're seeing on film as a coach, you're either coaching or allowing. Well, that's a, that's kind of a, a, a mm. an instance of honesty. So, and, and that's what you're saying, right? So we got to define some things. Well, part of it is that we need to define honestly what's actually going on. And we have this, um, in, at least in the broader sense, we have this um, pushback against the term employee. We have this pushback against this, this idea of pay for play. And yet that's exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, and this is what I said in, in the episode that you're referring to, we have to just call it what it is first and foremost. If we're honest, first and foremost, then we can start to look at fixing some of the problems. We are fully immersed in pay for play. We are fully immersed in inducements to come to your school and we are fully immersed in essentially employment and until we actually call it those things trying to build guardrails around it is going to be really difficult yeah i agree and i think one thing you were talking about we talk about in our locker rooms but also with our coaching staffs when you make the team after training camp in buffalo and this was the first place i've ever been where they did this is the head coach and your coordinator and your position coach would bring each player that's on the team into the room and you would have what's called a role meeting. Mm. And basically he's describing to you like your role on the team, like as clear as possible. Like, here's what we expect out of you. Here's what we want out of you. Obviously your contract is this, and it just provides clarity into what you're doing. And just all the things that you hit in those three or four minutes you talked, Joel, where you probably could have talked about it for 40 minutes on your own. And you have earlier this week. But there's just no clarity, it seems right. like, right? 
And I think that just is, it's not conducive of a successful environment for anybody. And that's why it's like, you see these kids, it's like, they're, they're also go back to when you were in college, right? I was in college only eight, nine years ago. The decisions I made when I was 17 or 18, when I decided to transfer from A&M and go to Houston, like I was at no point in my life where I could make that as a confident decision and a smart decision and a decision based on facts. Yeah, and now you information, add, yeah. limited information. Now you add tons of like crazy money to it. So a lot of kids who aren't used to having this money, it's there's just a lot going on. There's not much clarity. And which is why I want to get to this is Joel is you got you said all these things, right? There's a million issues right now in college football. But what I also like that you say it is that we're at the dawn, right? Mm. Like it's, it's, this is going to be great. Like college football is going to be great. And I agree with you, but it, we need to start somewhere. We need to fix a lot of things. You're the CEO of college football, right? CEO right now. The first issue that needs to go, what, what is your first plan of attack? If you're going to attack these issues, uh, first executive uh, order first. Yeah, exactly. That's, I love that. Um, a full stop break away from the NCAA. Real quick, this episode is sponsored by Prize Picks. This is called Jordan's Picks. And Prize Picks is really simple. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. I actually do it all the time. And it's Super Bowl week on Prize Picks. So I am selecting Mahomes Promo Square for more than 0.5 passing yards. That's an obvious one. We take that. Purdy. 31.5 pass attempts. I'm going to take less than that. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I do think he's going to have to get chunk plays. 31 and a half attempts is a lot. Go to prizepicks.com slash QB or download the prize picks app. Use code QB for a first time match up to $100. A full stop break away from the NCAA. Mm. Out like zero relationship. If you're going to participate in, in what I would call college football, whatever you want to call it, you know, like this entity, it would be a full stop break away from the NCAA. Um, I think that would be first and foremost. Um, what, what you're seeing right now um, with them trying to hold on to some power and uh, selectively go after schools for rules that have to, to their defense have been on the books for 10, 15, 20 years about inducements, about tampering, things of that nature, booster involvement, you know, from their seat, they're like, well, these things that you're doing are wrong. And it's like, yeah, but don't you understand that because you didn't set any guardrails, literally every school is doing those things. So like, why are you selectively trying to punish certain schools over others? It would be uh, the analogy I gave is, is you're driving on a highway and you're driving with traffic. And in fact, yeah. some of the traffic's driving faster than you. And then all of a sudden you get pulled over and you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Like what's this the literally problem? happened to me. I said, I'm keeping up with the flow of traffic and he goes, the flow of the traffic is exceeding the speed limit. Here's your right. ticket. And you got singled out. Right. And yep. so it's, 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 it's a frustration. So it would be a full break away from the NCAA. Um, the next thing I would do is I would start to tackle the calendar. And, and I think that's, that's actually um, a bigger reason for the coaching crisis other than, you know, even outside of and greater than name, image, and likeness and, mm -hmm. and transfer portal. And if we can actually fix the calendar, it would, it would generate an incredible amount of value to college football. And it would start to establish some of those parameters so that coaches could operate and understand what they're doing. You talked about the roles in, in Buffalo. Well, you know, can you imagine if you walked in there, you're the backup quarterback and they're like, Hey, you know, we just, uh, we want you to make every field goal. Um, I, we, yes. we definitely want you to pin every punt inside the 20 and, you know, protecting Josh's backside is important too. So if you could just do all of that and, and do it mm -hmm. all in the same play. And you'd be mm -hmm. like, I'm, what are you talking about? Well, right. Good you know, so yeah. we have to put, so what are the, like, give us two, like, what are the two things that overlap that shouldn't overlap? The first all of two them. That come to mind? They all overlap. And the first week of December, every single thing in college football overlaps, every single thing, the transfer portal opens, the early signing day is in two weeks. You still have a bowl game. So you're trying to practice. You've got assistant coaches that are trying to get jobs at other places because head coaches have been fired throughout college football. So Jordan, literally every single thing is happening at that moment. 
It's wild. Can you imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment, if the regular season in the National Football League ended and we're like, here's the playoffs, all right? Here's the matchups. Now, we're going to take a break for a few weeks. And in those few weeks, we're going to hire and fire coaches. We're going to play the carousel of that going on. We're going to have the draft and free agency the same exact week so that we don't actually know what the rosters are going to look like. And there's no salary cap. Oh, by the way, every single player in the NFL is a free agent. Well, you think about NFL right now, too, and we had coaches going through this, and we think it's crazy when coaches are doing interviews for head coaching jobs during playoffs, right? And that's the extent of where it's crazy in the NFL. It's like, oh, my OC is planning for the NFC Championship right now, but he's doing a head coaching job with Atlanta. Like, is he focused? But that's like, that's how bad it gets in the NFL. And then we did an entire episode on from the player's perspective of the calendar, right? From transfer portals to guys coming out of high school, trying to figure out as a player in college football, not only as a coach. This like you is understand. a really good point, Kyle, that you're making right now. Mm -hmm. Because the, the player cannot make a quality decision for himself with incomplete information. You can't. And there's just so many more layers than when, when I was in high school, especially when you were in high school. I mean, when I was coming out of high school, right, you had one signing day period, right? There's Now there's at least two. I mean, I could be wrong. It could be more, but there's two now for sure. You had one signing day period, especially as a quarterback, right? You kind of knew where everyone was going, so you knew the best situation for you. You knew if someone was going to transfer in, they had to sit out a year. And now if you're a quarterback, right, you're coming out of high school, you got to worry about someone transferring in. You got to worry about someone signing in a different signing period. You got to worry about coaches leaving now and especially coaches leaving for the NFL there's five or six more reasons to why you should not go to a school or why you should go to a school and so how does a kid who's 17 or 18 make an educated decision yeah. by the way your success is going to be completely dictated off of everything you just said around you opportunity to play are we yeah. good are we losing guys I think of Will Rogers he's yes. sitting there there's like a five-day period where he's sitting there this kid's at Mississippi he's a Mississippi boy he goes to Mississippi State goes mm -hmm. to Washington to play for Kalen DeBoer right poof Nick Saban retires out of nowhere Oh crap. Right. Kalen DeBoer leaves. So he's sitting there going, I'm just in an apartment in Seattle. I don't know who <laughs> yeah. the coach is going to be. There's nowhere to transfer to, by the way, all those seats, it's musical chairs. All those seats are gone and I got to wait and see. So then, you know, Jed fish comes in. Are you bringing the guy with you? Right. <laughs> are you not? And it's, and he, by the way, he's this. trying, he's trying to get Noah, Noah Fafita. So if mm -hmm. he can, he he's going to replace you at any mm -hmm. moment you know, to, to your point. Um, how about Aaron Nolan? Aaron Nolan is a really good high school player. Um, I, and you know, he, he is recruited by and signs with commits to Ohio state and has remained loyal through, you know, like the whole recruiting process. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kyle McCord leaves and then will Howard, you know, transfers into Ohio state. Then Nick Saban he retires and now Julian saying his class transfers into Ohio state. And so now all of a sudden Aaron Nolan is in <laughs> a packed, you know, there's six guys in there all of a sudden. So mm -hmm. to this point now, and that's, that's just from the player's standpoint, mm -hmm. but even think about it from the value of college football. If we fix the calendar, we actually played the postseason right after the regular season, we could avoid having to compete with the windows in the national football league as they get into their week For 17, sure. 18 in the playoffs. When they get into those Saturday windows, the, you know, those could be ours through the month of, of December. We could own January 1st. We could end college football on a traditional date like January 1st. Then you could have a, um, what I would call free agency or a transfer portal period. And then that would end. And then you would have a traditional signing day period. And at least all the high school players would know what the roster looks like because the portal period was done. You know, th that's just, those are the three things that I would basically do, Jordan, is I would break away from the NCAA. This goes all the way back to your question. What would you do? Executive order, break away from the NCAA completely so you can start to form different guardrails. And then I would fix the calendar by moving the postseason up to the regular season. And then you can actually have a real transfer portal and a real recruiting period that are separate from one another. Um, transitioning here. So Nick Saban retires, Harbaugh leaves his alma mater after a natty. Jeff Haley just left, uh, Halfley, sorry, just uh, left, uh, Boston College head job takes the DC job. This is all stuff we know. So Jeff was interviewed with uh, Adam Brenneman. I don't know if you know Adam, but yeah. he's doing a great job. Uh, on January 25th, six days before leaving for the Packers job, obviously 
these decisions are not made in five minutes or less, right? So there's always stuff going on. He was still a head coach, okay? And he had some quotes. We need more rules. The portal's a disaster. NFL has a salary cap. There's parity. It's built for imba- uh, it's built for balance. In college football, there's going to be more imbalance than ever this year. Um, what was your first thought when you saw that? Because you, I, I don't know the number. Let's just say that it's the same money. Let's say it's $3 million and $3 million, right? And there's whatever. The way I look at it is, I mean, what is Halfley's opportunity to get a better head coaching job in college or a head coaching job in the NFL? If Boston College isn't going to have the money, you're, the ceiling might be six, seven, eight wins just for that program, period. You're more likely to get fired from that job than you are to be promoted to a better job than that, as opposed to going to Green Bay with a good young quarterback and blah, 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 and an ownership group who, not ownership group, but you know what I'm saying, uh, an organization that has built sustained success. You're much more le- likely to springboard from there than you are from Boston College. What was your first kind of takeaway when you saw a, some would say, lateral move? Yeah, I, and I I spent a lot of time around Jeff when he was the coordinator at uh, Ohio State, and and so I know him I know him really well. He is a football coach. That's what he wants to do, you know. He and and this is his opportunity to go coach football. I think that if he could do that at Boston College, he would, and he would try to win there. You bring up an an, an excellent point though that w- without the Without the parameters in place that would encourage more parity in college football, what's the bet, better opportunity for upward mobility? Head coach at Boston College or defensive coordinator at Green Bay, and it's unequivocally the defensive coordinator at Green Bay. Green Bay. Mm-hmm. You, you may get to six or seven wins, and you better hope that someone recognizes how good of a job you did at Boston College and gives you a better job in college football, right? But – in, in the National Football League, man, that carousel goes so quickly and, and so fast. Look at Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald was a college, you know, defensive coordinator. And, and well, I'll, I'll go back. During COVID, he was basically an analyst um, in the Ravens organization, you know, and starting to become a, a, a position coach, goes and coordinates for Jim Harbaugh for one year. They turn it around. They beat Ohio State. John brings him back to coordinate the defense, has a great couple of years. Now he's a head football coach in the National Football League. That's staggering. I, I think me. the other person, the second place on that job, by the way, is Mike Kafka, who I think was playing six years ago. Right. You know what I mean? I think he retired five or six years ago, and he was the other candidate for that job. Just to to hammer the point. I mean, now, guy- I I would just say that then you start to have to debate with yourself: what's better, being a head coach in the National Football League or being a head coach in college football? Now, oh. you can you can say that there's a lot of reasons why you would say like, well, not. Easy NFL. There's more money at the at the top end. Um, you don't have to deal with all the things that we're talking about about calendar and so on and so forth. And that's true. That's true. I would just make an argument that you are are more in control of your own destiny as a head coach in college football than you are in the National Football League because in the NFL, it is so determined by your ownership's willingness to win. Number one. And number mm-hmm. two, who's the guy taking snaps? Mm-hmm. You're third at best in terms of the hierarchy of if you're going to win or not. Whereas in college football, you're number one. You're the yeah. guy that that drives it all. That's why, you know, in college football, the head coach is essentially a, a tandem owner quarterback as, you know, as it relates to what what those roles are in the National Football League. Do you have three other, like one, two, three other college coaches where you could go, I could see this guy leaving and going to the NFL. Yeah, and I mean Chip Chip was uh Chip Kelly was dancing around it and is still dancing around it. I I could see that one. Um you know, Ryan at Ohio State is always interesting cuz he has the NFL background. Um but I know he is just he is so committed to turn this around. But if he is to able to turn around and maybe win a national championship at Ohio State, I I could see Ryan um taking the opportunity to go be a head football coach in the NFL um who's and maybe Lincoln maybe make maybe Lincoln those would be the guys that I would mm-hmm. I would kind of look to um at least at this point 
Were you surprised with Harbaugh? I mean, just getting no. over the hump at Michigan, you weren't surprised. I you wasn't. Think it was a he wanted to get there and then move on. I wasn't for a, a lot of different reasons. Man, I was like, maybe I was almost too close to it. Kyle, I did 16 of their games in their last three years. Wow. So, you know, like I was around that, that team more than anybody. Yep. And um, a lot of stuff was happening. Number one, I have never been around any team, any level that was as close of a group as, as Michigan this last year. Seemed like it from far away. It was remarkable. You think about, and granted, you can debate whether they brought it on themselves, but the distractions that the players had to deal with this year were immense in many ways. Mm -hmm. Six different times they had to play without their head coach on the sidelines, including against Penn State on the road, including against mm -hmm. Ohio State. Like, And they just kept winning. They just kept winning. So that was as focused and committed and selfless uh, of a football team as I've ever been around. But in part, it was because of what Jim installed after COVID. And he kind of, I know this is cliche, but he like gave the team back to the, to the locker room. You know, he, he stopped holding it so closely. It's rare in college too. It's it, very it rare. It really that. is. And, and Jim is one of those guys that could almost want it so bad he can choke the life out of it. And that's what I expected from him too. So I'm surprising to hear you say that. And, and in the last few years, man, he, he gave it all back, but in doing that, he started taking a lot of arrows, his stance on revenue sharing with the players, I believe drew the ire of the NCAA, him dealing with some ridiculous investigation about a kid showing up to their building in the middle of a COVID dead period and having to get a notice of allegation and then them digging through his computer. Meanwhile, guys are driving Lambos up to their national signing day. And he's like, what, are, why are you coming after me? Mm -hmm. He genuinely believes in his heart that he didn't do anything wrong in the sign stealing. I've sat with him several times, talked about this specifically. And he's like, they've been through my phone. They've been through my computer. I didn't know. I didn't know how he was getting the information. What do you want from me? And in his mind, I don't think he wanted to deal with that. And then if you were to go to step further, I know that it looked like on the outside that, that everything with the administration was, was peachy, but I just don't think that he was, um, or felt as supported as he wanted to be specifically by the athletic director. And, and so because of that, he did what he achieved, he, he set out to achieve and won a national championship at Michigan. And for him and, and for that group, I believe in his mind, he was like, this is the perfect exit. So, yeah, I mean, I remember standing with him on the stage in Indianapolis. I knew, I knew then yeah. like, this is it. This is, this, this actually is worked out sure. perfect with him missing those games and still getting the natty. I mean, you get the, your interim coach gets some tread on his tires before now it's an obvious hire and it's still his alma mater, right? You don't want to leave your alma mater in flames, right? It just couldn't have gone better. It's like Florida playing freshman Timmy Tebow that whole season, even though Chris Lee's the quarterback. So there's a peaceful transition to him taking – it was just a – it kind of worked out perfect, even though it wasn't the the goal from the standpoint uh, or from the get-go. So one of the things, like, I think college fans don't realize, and we look at college coaches – and so you see, the, I mean, their faces all over everything, right? You see them on TV, you see them on the sideline. Uh, social media coaches aren't documenting their day. They're somebody who's running their account is promoting whatever they're promoting at the time. You spend a lot of, and what people don't realize, you're calling games. Even when I was calling games for a minute, lower level games, you still spend a bunch. You walk around the building, you get to know everybody, you see how everything operates. You calling at the level that you're calling it for as long as you've been calling it. I would argue you you're, you have a, you guys who in your industry have a unique vantage point over what's going on in each of these buildings. Like you said, you called 16 Michigan games in the last three years. Yeah. I, I don't know if Desmond Howard knows as much about what's going on there as you. So talk through like the hour, like what is college coaches? What does their job consist of outside of whiteboard, marker, clicker in hand? Um, they They are... Whew, okay. If it's a pie chart. Yeah, go even start from like the wake up to at night, a basic day. For, Their hours for are insane right as yeah. in compared to NFL coaches. Their hours are insane. They're in incredibly early. 
Um, and, and a lot of it just depends. I, it's hard to do a day cause some guys practice in the afternoon. Some, some of them practice yeah. in the morning, but the pie chart, I would say that depending on your role, like let's take a, a, a coordinator, a coordinator is going to spend half of his time on football. Okay. Like game planning, football meetings with his player players and practice. But, but then you start getting into probably about five to 10% of his time, he's going to be acting as a counselor, almost like a camp counselor for his room, because these are still 18 to 22 year olds that are dealing with all sorts of different things, right? Including uh, academics, including relationships. And so the, the ability to be almost a counselor or a father figure to your room takes up at least 10, maybe more percent, right? So now we're up to about 40%. The really good ones are spending at least 10% of their time on recruiting. And I mean like hard, like on the mm -hmm. phones daily, making sure that they're recruiting, um, including watching film that the analysts give them that basically rise up to like, okay, we think that you should watch film of this kid. So now that they're, they're going to watch film of that kid that leaves, you know, roughly between like eight to 10%. And at that point it's about fires. Because in, in college athletics, there are always fires. And that's what I think drives most guys insane is they feel like they can do a lot of this other stuff, but then the fires pop up. And the fires have, at least in the last few years, been surrounding the chaotic environment with Transfer Portal and with NIL. So now all of a sudden, you're not talking about a player coming in saying, hey, man, I, I got an F, uh, my girlfriend dumped me you know, I played terrible last week and you're trying to coax him through that. Now you've got dad calling and saying, Hey, I got a team offering me 350 grand. What are you going to do? And you're like, Oh, so that's, that's a fire. Right. And you just throw that in a bucket of a fire. And that's, I would say basically, basically the pie chart. And then depending on the time of year, you know, mm -hmm. it, it grows in, in one area or the other. Um, but at most, I would say, or I say, I should say at best, even a coordinator is only spending about half of his time on football. That stresses me out even hearing that, just thinking about all the fires, dude. I can't only imagine. For anyone who but, asks me why I don't coach. I know. By the way, Jordan, I get that question a lot. They're like, oh, are, are you going to get into it? Are you going to want to coach? I'm like, absolutely no. not. Yeah. You're like, I love my life. I, so. my, my life is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but you talk about this, right? Mom, though, man. yeah, you've had this. You've had this thought about the GM in college football before. I think mm -hmm. you've had this take, and I think talk to us about how much that would solve for these guys because it seems like oh, collectively these coaching staffs are all trying to play GM together, right? They're trying to do this, and it almost seems like there's a position missing on that staff of of personnel of keeping everyone happy. That's of right. The NIL. Well, and okay, so Kyle, if you had a question about your contract, a dispute about your contract, mm -hmm. anything regarding the business of your career, would you take it to your position coach? It'd be Brandon Bean or the cap guy. There's specific There you people. go. There Clarity. you go. So that automatically reduces that out of the pie chart of the position coach in college football, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's where I was talking about earlier. And some schools have these. I mean, I've dealt with some correct GMs, or they're, they're literally their title is general manager or chief of staff to the head coach. That's which right. Is essentially the same thing. And 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 I want to talk about why even with with some programs having those titles, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, like why it's still so different than than in the NFL. Okay, so to to me, if you can hire layers of people to where if like a dad calls, if, if a player wants more money, if a player is arrested or something, it's just like, it doesn't fall on the coach's desk. There's other layers that handle that. Now you're starting to build what I would call insulation, right? Layers of insulation for the coaching staff and, and maybe even more specifically the head coach and, and the coordinators. Now, you can make an argument and Jordan, you just kind of started this. They're like, yeah, you're starting to see this pop up. There are guys with the title general manager. There are almost everybody has a chief of chief of staff. Now you're starting to see like guys that are like chief of football operations, you know, and all these different titles that, that pe people are giving um, guys in, in college. The problem is, is that those, those positions 
are hired by the head coach. So they fall under the head coach. So there are no mm. layers over the head coach to insulate him still. Everything still okay. comes back to him. Whereas in the National Football League, the owner hires the GM. The owner hires the president of football operations. The owner hires the cap guy. All of those guys. And then the owner hires along with the GM, the head coach, and that head coach almost fits under that layer of insulation. So you're not even going to go to Sean McDermott and, and say yeah. like, Hey man, like we got to talk about my deal. He'd be like, okay, like, yeah, yeah. the office is exactly. down the hall. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that's the difference, Jordan, is that I, I see an environment in which an athletic director with a brain understands how to set up an org chart that insulates his head coach and allows him to grow his pie chart of football to a, to a point that's that's bigger than his competitors and that guy is going to feel a lot better about what he can do for the player and i think that the player in a lot of cases is going to feel a lot better about what the coach is doing for him um, and i think that that type of like little cycle could be really valuable but we haven't seen it in college football yet and this is also what i touched on in, in, in the show, part of it is, is that while right now the head coach is like an owner and like a mini dictator in college football, there's going to need to be some give and take. Who's the guy that's going to raise his hand and say, okay, one, I'll take a little less money and I'll take a little less power. That's very rare in, in our culture and in our sport. And is that an issue though? Does that, does that kind of you talked about earlier how it's almost like a head coach in college football is more stable than a head coach in the NFL because they have that power though. They, they have that dictatorship and that's almost some of the lore of the job is, is you like think about, I mean, Saban's one of the greatest coaches ever, but you think about these long-term coaches at a ton of these schools, they have all this power and all this responsibility, but it also helps them have that long-term tenure there. And then I think if you start to, to dizzy that out to other people and other things, and then your power and your your level of, of need and the staff goes down almost. Yeah, I think it'll be really tough to do it to an existing guy. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I, I, I think it's going to be an athletic director that's going to have to understand this. Totally agree. I would love... Or, or whoever's writing the biggest check for that collective. There you go. You and want those are business guys, by the way. Over the, I got, I, I'm going to give $14 million to the school because I went and made $14 million. I know how to make money. If you want my check over the next three years, I need a, I need a better org chart. That's not, right. I need a wide out. Not, I need a pass rusher. I need a better org chart. So I actually think, because I've got to know some of these people, like those checks are contingent. It's not just, I'm a diehard fan of fill in blank. It's... So I want, I don't just want the parking spot. <laughs> I, want, I want some, I want some proof that we're going to actually put this money to good use. And, and um, think about how quick that's all going to have to go because you're probably going to have to have uh, a coach opening right now. The, in, in the current setting, there's a panic when you don't have a head coach, cause you feel like you're going to lose your entire locker room because of the 30 day transfer portal mm -hmm. window that opens up for your team specifically with a coaching change. So all these programs are like, we just need a coach. We need a coach. We need a coach. So mm -hmm. I think it's going to take, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to take a collective with a lot of money and an AD with a, with a, a big set to say, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's funny about it. And they were ridiculed for this. ASU kind of tried to do this. Yeah. With Marvin and all yes. those guys. Yeah. And you know, I don't think that they sold it right. I don't think that it was maybe the right people, but the idea was correct. I'm convinced of it. Maybe that, that idea was that. just a little early, but now moving forward, it's correct. No, it was early. It was just early. Think about it. They, in that little window, when you had Herm Edwards at, and Marvin Lewis was there, how about the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders was on that staff, yeah. Antonio Pierce. How about the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner, was recruited out of high school to go to go play there. I've been around Jaden forever. He didn't go to ASU because he didn't have other offers. That's right? right. They had players and they had player coaches on that step. Several of those coaches have gone on and done things. So I, I that agree. Model I, I, was, that was my example. That model was uh, it. The, the biggest detriment to that model was COVID when you mm. really look at it, because that's when 
and forgive me, I don't know all the all the details here. So if someone calls us out on this, uh, my apologies. Mm-hmm. I want to say that most of the quote unquote rules that were broken were because of the the COVID rules, like mm-hmm. the different style of COVID dead periods and and lack of recruiting that you could have. And that's when it started to go south. And then everyone panics when the NCAA is involved. But remember, let's go back to the first answer. Why don't we just break away from the NCAA? My gosh. Like, they make everything worse. Yeah. Well, we're going to end here. We're going to play a little game. All right? This is called More or Less. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to throw something out to you. This game, More or Less, is presented by Prize Picks. Uh, I'm going to give a statement. And you tell us more or less than that number. All right? We'll start with an easy one. Three and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round of the NFL draft this year. More or less than three and a half? More. Who's the fourth? McCarthy. Ooh. All right. Well, bonus question, whatever you want to call it. More or less than four and a half? Less. Okay. So you McCarthy in the first and then Bo and Penix. Those guys go later. Um, Five and a half, uh, five point more or less, five and a half months until the Joel Klatt show has more TikTok followers than Matt Liner. Right now, Matt's at 173. Joel, you're at 132. Am I really? Five and a half months. Oh, yeah. man. Okay, say it again. Seven and a half months? Five and a half months. More or less than five and a half months till you pass Liner. And we had Liner on a couple weeks ago. And- I'm going to say more because the off season is just like, it's not my... You know, I, I need the fall to really generate. So I'm going to say more, but I'm going to catch him. There's no doubt. 660.5. Okay. So more or less than 660.5 combined passing yards to uh, the Houston Bull quarterbacks through four in an unforgettable 2004 duel. Kyle, do you know we played against each other in college? I didn't. It's pretty crazy. More or less than 660. More. We both went off. More. 661. Joel, you threw for 333, and I threw for 328. Yes! My roommate, Joe Flaskowski, he didn't tackle Kloppenstein on that freaking seam, and you guys <laughs> rolled on that long way. That's like um, one of the things. Can I tell you a game. quick story about that game? Please. I don't Does it have... involve Mason Crosby shining his shoes after he was hammering field goals all day? Dude, that guy had an absolute cannon for a leg, which was hilarious. Um yeah. And, he, and yes, he would shine his shoes. By the way, did you know his holder in that game is now a coordinator in the NFL, Nick Holtz? Wow, yeah. Nick there you just, go. There so you there's go. a fun fact. Another yeah. fun fact is I don't remember the game that well because you guys had a defensive end whose, I believe, legal name was Ebok Ebok Jr. Ebok Ebok. I-B-O-K. I-B-O-K. He is Jake Paul's right-hand man right now. Is he Good really? Full-on trainer. He's changed his name to Ocean. <laughs> this is and, wild because this dude, oh, this is a whole he hit story, me. Yeah. I mean, obliterated me on yeah. a touchdown pass. So, like, everyone's celebrating. And, Jordan, I'm on the ground, like, rolling around like, uh, like, okay. just obliterated concussion, full, full, full bit. So, I don't remember a ton from that game because yeah. Ebok Ebok just destroyed Fuck. me. Ebok. That's so awesome. This guy was just—he was on the action. scouting report for sure. Ebok Ebok was circled going. He was league. an action. There's figure. no way. He's one of the greatest dudes ever. Well, so, I, uh, he wasn't. Kyle, he wasn't on the scouting report. Probably should have been. I just remember warming up, and to your point, like he looked like an Adonis yeah. on the other yeah, side of the field. And I was like, months. I was like, oh, you know, you remember that, right, guys? When you walked up to the line of scrimmage, and you would like. There's a difference when you see it, a dude yeah. and you're like, oh boy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I never actually really ever played with or against anybody who looked like Ebok. Now, the, now today, I would say like, there's a bunch of great pass rushers in this league and they're all big and they're all fat. And then there's Miles Garrett over there. Right. There's Miles Garrett, who I played with He's in college. Different. That's so right. Thank all the others. Yeah. Kyle, you were with <laughs> him in college. Yeah. I, I would line up against him in practice and thank God that he wouldn't be able to come and hit me. But I mean, my moment like that is is when I played Tampa in, in 2019 and I lined up and it was Vita Vea in one A <laughs> gap and then Dominican Sue in the other A gap. You're like, what? And it's third and one, and coach calls QB sneak. I said, I don't know. You got the wrong guy, man. I, I don't like, know. Well, I don't know what to do. Here, <laughs> I got a good one, too. We had a true yeah. freshman starting left guard for us. His name was Brian Daniels. 
and he's and he's we're playing Oklahoma. Oklahoma's number one in the country. This is like 03. 03 Oklahoma with like Jason White. Tommy mm. Harris is the mm. three technique. Mm. Dude is, I mean, his arms were tree trunks, absolute mm -hmm. tree trunks. And we have a true freshman starting guard. And we did weak and split in the old West Coast, guys. And so mm -hmm. because of that, weak and split, we would always call two jet. So we would they would switch sides and we would always call two jet so that we would just the, the weak guard would always slide and be in the slide. Yep. Well, we decide to run three jet against Oklahoma with a true freshman weak guard. And and there's Tommy at the three technique. God is my witness. He threw him down so quickly, facing the ground so quickly, Tommy thought it was a screen and stopped. And and he and I on the field are just staring at each other right in the eyes. And then like I just kind of dump it off really quickly. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, that won't happen again. And I, I walked over the, to the sideline and I was like, no more three jet. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like we're yeah. not running three jet. That's awesome. Uh, last one. One and a half pitches per at bat that Ricky Henderson wanted you to take the plate so he could steal second. More. <laughs> take it. That's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know you played minor league baseball did. and definitely didn't know you played with how I many did. years you played. Uh, I was, I was in the minors for three seasons before I went back and played college football. So I was an old guy. I was an old, old oh, crust. Brandon Whedon asked. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, it's so funny that people thought Brandon Whedon was so old and now it's like, Oh, he's a junior in 2024. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? We got, <laughs> yeah, he just got held back in eighth grade a couple years other. and then had a seven, exactly seven year, right. you know? Yeah. Um, real quick about Ricky Henderson. Like you can't, you can't bring it up. And then, so my last spring training with the San Diego Padres, they signed Ricky Henderson to a minor league contract. I think he was 41 at the time, which by the way, I just turned 42. So it's like, he's what I am now, which is wild to think he was still playing baseball. But here he is, Ricky Henderson. He gets signed to a minor league contract. Sean Burroughs is the triple A third baseman. Burroughs has a sore arm. And so they're just like, hey, Clat, I'm a third baseman. They're like, just go play on the triple A squad for the week. Spring training super lax, right? And they're like, we're all around. Sure, whatever. Next day, Ricky gets signed. Well, where does he go? Minor league contract goes to the AAA team. Well, where does he hit? One hole. Where did Sean Burroughs hit? Two hole. So your boy is hitting two hole behind Ricky Henderson for a week, which guys, like this is incredible. Yeah. And so he would be in the on deck circle and he'd be tapping his toes, you know, and then he'd look back and I'd be like wide eyed. Like, <laughs> and, and he'd be like two. I was like, all right. Cool. Next at bat, three. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm going up to the plate from the heels. I mean, swinging as hard as I possibly can at the first pitches that I can possibly see. Cause all I can think about in my mind is I'm going to hit a home run and Ricky's going to be on base and wait for me at home. And I'm just going to give him a bash brother. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be incredible. Like you talk about the dreams of a young boy, right? I'm swinging from the heels. He keeps telling me the number three. I'm like, what is going on? Why does he keep telling me a number? So I finally asked the the skip, his name was Jeff Gardner. I'm like, skip, why does Ricky keep telling me a number? He's like, Rook, that's how many pitches he expects you to take so he can steal second. I was like, oh, God. But it. I wanted to hit a home run, got coach. It. It's my time to shine. This is it. I thought it was all about me. It was really about that's, Ricky. Dang it. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's end on a high note real here, real quick. Uh, you made a comment. You said we are in the dawn of the golden age of college football. What do you mean? Well, if think about it this way, um, college football is unquestionably and by a wide margin, the second most popular sport in our country. And, you know, the NFL has, has gone to a place that I don't think anybody ever thought it could go. And I believe that college football is just scratching the surface with all the different things that we're talking about, which will eventually make it an unbelievable product. It's so fragmented right now and it's so broken and it's so chaotic. If we just do the work of fixing this, it's not only gonna be better for the players, but it's gonna be better for the fans. It's gonna be better overall. There's a tremendous amount of value. There's a tremendous amount of entertainment. There's a tremendous amount of, of success that can happen for everybody involved in this sport. 
And right now, we aren't even glimpsing what we could possibly be in college football. And hopefully things like the big 10 and the sec coming together to form kind of a joint um, uh, commission, if you will, to look at, at things like this, we are starting to see the little breadcrumbs that are eventually going to lead to, I think the golden age of the sport where we have more parity, we have more opportunity guys are making their value as, as it relates to what their value actually is. They're getting the opportunities of the education and, and the sport is, is something that people can follow and latch onto, even if they're not an alum of the school. It's all upside, in my estimation, from this point on. And, and right now, to me, feels like a real starting line, not a finish line. Yeah, I love that. It's so well put. Uh, I made a comment last year. I don't remember what it was on, something in the media. And it was around, like, end of November. And I I, I did it on this, I this uh, newsletter called Cover 3. And I said, just pause for a second and fast forward 12 months. We're going to be having, we're going to be so excited about our favorite NFL team getting into the playoffs. Are they going to make the playoffs? What seed are we going to, all that that already happens is going to be happening. And then we're going to be getting ready for a 12 team playoff where mm-hmm. a school like Arizona could have won it all, right? We don't have, in basketball, we have these Cinderella stories, right? We see George Mason and then all these, every year we have a different Cinderella story. We don't have that opportunity, which in a couple of months, we're going to have an opportunity for a team who's hot at the right time and rolling. And I just think, before we fix anything, just the 12 team totally changes just the holiday season in America in a way that like, I don't think people wrap their heads around yet Mm. that there's going to be, I am so used to not watching bowl games (laughs) and I coach quarterbacks. I just don't watch them. We're going to be in a place where it's like, we are just as excited or more excited about the other playoffs happening. And uh, so I'm with you. Uh, I think this was an amazing discussion. Uh, Again, yes, former player, but when you call games and you do it at the level that you do it, uh, I just think your vantage point on what is happening and is what is not happening is unique. And when I say unique, I mean, no one else has it. And so thank you so much for bringing that perspective um, to us. Uh, South, South Orange County, you're a North County guy, mm-hmm. but us South Orange That's County right, guys okay. and uh, in the QB room, Joel Clatt, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I, it was my pleasure that uh, this was a lot of fun and hopefully we can all uh, meet up here in the next few months while you're coaching your guys and I can, uh, I can see the magic happen. <laughs>